place in just a moment. Thank you, AJ. Can we all in unison on three say thank you, AJ? One, two, three. Thank you, AJ. During this Thanksgiving weekend, we are so thankful to you, AJ. And might I also say, I'm thankful for you, church. You're wonderful. Uh, you're friendly. You're warm-hearted to one another. And indeed, I'm so thankful uh, for Victory Life Church. And each and all of you, you guys are amazing. They serve us each and every week. Can we give them an ovation and, and express gratitude for them? These are amazing talented, wonderful people, and we are indeed thankful for them as well. Uh, my name is Otto Ramos. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I'm thankful to be in worship with you today. I'm also thankful to join those of you uh, that are with us online. If you'd like to learn more about who we are, if you're here in person, you can certainly do that by communicating with us. You can take one of those communication cards that can be found on the seat back in front of you and let us know that you're here and uh, fill that out. And afterwards, if you have some free time, Please stop by the Welcome Center and drop that off to us. We have a free gift for you just for joining us this morning. But indeed, thank you for worshiping with us today. For those of you joining us online, you can also let us know that you're here by going to our website at vlchurch.com. There is a banner on our front page that says, Are You New Here? Click on that banner. There will be a form that pops up on the screen. Complete that form. That will come straight to me, and I will communicate with you sometime this week. But indeed, thank you as well for joining us. I do have one announcement. It, it is just a reminder. Last week we mentioned that we are doing a mission trip fundraiser for our youth group. They're taking a trip next summer in July 2024 to Honduras. And so we're doing a really cool thing uh, whereby we're kind of partnering with a local grocery store known as Acme. Give me a thumbs up if you have heard of Acme or if you shop at Acme. Yeah, lots of you do. Uh, so how this works is, if you have receipts from Acme, please bring them here. We have a few boxes at our Welcome Center. If you plop them in there, that'll add up uh, to an amount, and they will give us a check in mid-February just for showing them that we have proof of purchase of having shopped at Acme. And so that'll support our youth going on mission to Honduras this next summer, and we hope that you'll participate in that endeavor. Very, very cool. Well, that's all I have this morning in the way of announcements. If you have come to worship the Lord Jesus uh, with your tithes and offerings, you likely know how to do it. You can give online, or you can text to give, or you can give as you exit the sanctuary this morning. But indeed, thank you for worshiping the Lord Jesus uh, with your tithes and offerings today. I can I ask you to stand this morning, and as you do so, uh, let's bow for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, you know each person in this room by name. In fact, when you call them and when you speak to them, you do it by calling them by their name. In fact, Jesus said, you know the number of hairs on our head, which means you know us down to the finest detail. And we thank you for being a God that is not so far removed that we can't hear you when you call our name. My prayer this morning is that we would hear your voice as you call to us unto yourself. May you do this as we worship you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship this morning. <clears throat> we have a reason to worship and praise because God found us in our sin and he sent his son Jesus to save you and me. I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of 
of weight It was my tomb Jesus till I met you I was breathing but not alive All my failures I tried It was my dream, Jesus, till I met him. You called us. You called my name, and I ran out of that grave.
So no matter what today, say, yes, I will. Yes, I will. Bless your name. I'm going to praise. I count on one thing. The same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now. And in the waiting, the same God who's never late is working all things out. You're working all things out. Oh, yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. And yes, I will bless your name. Oh, yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy for all my days. Oh, yes, I will. And I count on one thing. This ain't God. your name when my heart is heavy in the lowest valley but I'll bless your name Lord when I'm on the mountaintop too when life is good and when you are showing your faithfulness time and time again I will bless your name I will praise you 
for you have been faithful. Would you bow your heads this morning for a moment? Heavenly Father, I pray this morning you would give us a glimpse of your faithfulness. I pray, Lord, that you would bring to each mind's eye a moment in their life when you have shown faithfulness, whether it be through a healing, a provision, a bringing forth of your peace, a restoration. Would you bring to each and every mind's eye a moment where you have shown your faithfulness and your goodness, and it was nothing but a God moment. It was nothing we did, Lord, but it was everything that you did. And the biggest act of your faithfulness of all was when you sent Jesus, just like you said you would, to save us from our sin so that we could see your faithfulness time and time again in this life and share and declare it with others. Only Jesus could take our sin. Only he is worthy enough and holy enough. And you sent him and showed your faithfulness to your people. So this morning we declare you are holy forever.
Definitions of holy is to be perfectly sinless, impeccably pure, unequivocally righteous. And Jesus, you are that. Only you, Jesus, were worthy to be slain and take our sin like an unblemished lamb. You were our sacrifice. And now we get to exalt with the angels in heaven singing, worthy is the lamb who was slain. To him belongs all wealth, power, majesty, glory, strength, honor. We get to exclaim that today because you've purchased us by your blood because you alone are holy, holy forever. So we pray, Lord, this morning that you would show us that and continue to meet us here as we partake of Holy Communion. In your name, amen. You may be seated this morning. Elder Matt, would you come lead us through communion today?
Good morning. We spent the last few days taking time with our friends and family to be grateful for the blessings that the Lord has brought into our lives. Today we gather here in this place as a church family to take communion together as thanks for what the Lord Jesus did for us on the cross. You feel comfortable in taking communion because of your relationship with Jesus. You're welcome to participate with us today. May I ask our communion servers to come forward at this time? We celebrate communion to remember and give honor where honor is due. This morning we give honor to the Lord Jesus by remembering what he did for us. The Apostle Paul tells us in his letter to the Colossians, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Human sin created a barrier between God and all mankind. It was and is the work of Christ that breaks down these barriers and makes peace. First, between God and mankind. Second, Christ fosters peace among human beings in their relationships with one another. This doesn't mean that there's never a barrier between us and God after we come to know Christ. In fact, because we are human, we will fail. However, the writer of Hebrews offers us a word of encouragement for those who might fall short and feel disconnected from God. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace. That is part of what communion is for us. It's a reminder of how a holy God came in this world, sympathized with our weakness, but he was without sin, making him the perfect sacrifice for the barrier we created between us and God. And if there is a barrier between you and God today, know he is your reconciler, he's your reconductor, he is your redeemer. May you remember this when you hold the bread and juice in your hands. These items are reminders of God's desire to make peace with you once again. And as you come to receive the elements this morning, I encourage all of us to be honest and prayerful about what barriers need removed this morning. Is it pride? Is it anger? Is it a lie from the enemy saying that God can no longer use you? Maybe you don't know what it is. Just ask God and use this time to show you and give it to him. Some of us may be sitting here this morning and have a strong sense of connection to Jesus today. And if that's you, be prayerful. Ask about strengthening that connection so that with prayer you might help others break down the barriers between them and God as they continue their journey towards Christ. I'm going to ask you to step forward shortly. We have two groups of servers in the center section, one for the front section. We'll ask that you start in the front rows, receive your elements, proceed to the end of the road, 
go back in to be seated. We also ask that you hold your communion elements until all have received them so we can take together. If for some reason you're not able to come forward to get the elements yourself, just raise your hand and we have somebody who will be more than happy to bring those elements to you so that you're not left out. Now, if you're able, we ask that you come forward at this time and receive the elements.
we're told in the book of Luke that on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took a piece of bread and said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This morning, we also have a small piece of bread. Take a moment and thank Jesus for giving his body for us. We are also reminded in 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteousness of the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. We can take the bread together. After they ate the bread, the Apostle Matthew tells us that Jesus took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many of, for the forgiveness of sins. We have a small cup of juice. This is a symbol of the blood of Christ. Take a moment, and as you hold this juice in your hand, thank God for giving his blood for you. When speaking of the blood of Christ, Paul tells us, Paul tells the Ephesians in chapter 1, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespass, according to the riches of his grace. He goes on to tell us in chapter 2, verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Let us drink. Let's pray. Father, thank you for coming into our lives and showing us who you are. Jesus said no one comes to God unless God draws him first. You pursued us first. You came to each of us and showed us who you are. Your story is defined by the blood and body of Jesus Christ that you gave so that we could have peace with you, that we could be redeemed and brought near to you. Thank you for forgiving your, thank you for forgiving us. So may we understand how this act was the most important act of love ever committed in human history. It was because of your love that you did this, and it was your love that enabled us to understand its meaning. Thank you, Lord, for your great love. For it is in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Welcome. Thank you for taking communion. Pastor Peter. Yeah, I need those, Matt. <laughs> Good morning. My name is Peter. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the great privilege of getting to share God's word with you today. Farmers in the Midwest, during in the, like the upper Midwest, during a blizzard, they will tie a rope to their house and tie a rope to themselves so that when they go out in the blizzard, they won't get lost. You might be thinking, well, you know, even when there's a blizzard here, you know, we don't get lost. Uh, but in certain parts of the U.S., it, it'll, um, the, the blizzards will be so thick, so intense, that you can't see your own hand when you're holding it up in front of you. And so these farmers will tie a, tie a rope to their house and tie a rope to themselves so that they'll be able to get back to their house. 
And part of the reason why they do this is because there were actually some who got lost in blizzards, and they would just kind of be wandering around, and they couldn't get back to their home. In some cases, they were even in their own backyard. They were just feet away from safety, but they never reached that safety. And I think some of us might have a similar situation metaphorically where we feel like we are in a blizzard and we don't have a rope to lead us home. So the blizzard that I'm talking about, the metaphorical blizzard, is the, the bi- blizzard of busyness, right? So how do, you, how do people typically respond these days when you ask them how they're doing? What do we say? We say good, but busy. Right? We feel like we're, we're never quite finished, like there's always more that we have to do, like there's not enough time in the day, and we, and we wish that there was more time in the day so that we could do more things. We admire the people who are super productive. If we're not doing something, we, we feel guilty that we're not being productive enough. We feel like we never finish. Dallas Willard is a famous Christian writer, and he said this about being busy and and hurrying. He said, hurry is the great enemy to our spiritual development. Corey Ten Boom said that if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. And so we have these respected leaders who sort of warn us of the dangers of, of being too busy, and yet it's still something that I think we all struggle with, especially during the holiday season. There's actually a condition that psychologists will uh, diagnose people with now, and it's called hurry sickness. Hurry sickness, some of the symptoms of being hurry sick are that you're always trying to go faster, that you speed up relationships because you feel pressure to get things done. You're irritable, restless, emotionally numb. You practice escapist behaviors. You feel disconnected from your calling. And you don't like being interrupted. Does that sound like any of us? It certainly sounds like me. <laughs> this is something where I, uh, where I definitely struggle with this. Pastor Matt is so good at this. He's so good at being like at peace and relaxed. And he could be in the middle of doing something. And you come and you ask him for help. And he will give you his complete attention. He doesn't mind being interrupted. He's ready to minister to you with joy. And then there's me. <laughs> Some of you know, I, I keep my door open to try to pretend that I'm approachable. Um, but if someone comes and asks me to, to, to help them with something and I'm in the middle of a task, I'm like, uh, okay. Um, <laughs> and in the back of my head, I'm thinking about my to-do list. I'm thinking about what I have to hurry to complete. I'm a bad human. It's terrible. Jesus was not in a hurry. There was one uh, spiritual leader, he was asked to describe Jesus in one word, and he said, calm. He didn't mind being interrupted. He said to those who were weary and to those who were burdened, come to me and I will give you rest. I'll give you a light yoke. I'll give you an easy burden. I flipped those around, didn't I? Easy yoke, light burden. You get the picture, right? So Jesus says, come to me. When you follow me, you'll be able to find rest. So how can we join Jesus in being relaxed and at peace? 
How can we join Jesus? How can we, we get out of that blizzard of busyness and be in a place where we're at peace? We're going to talk about how to make steps in that direction today. And one of the ways that you can do that is by taking a Sabbath, taking a day to rest. Taking a day for Sabbath rest is a key part of living according to God's intended rhythm for our lives. Taking a day for Sabbath rest is a key part of living according to God's intended rhythm for our lives. So we're going to see this today in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 12, verse 8. And Jesus talks here about both rest and the Sabbath. And he's going to talk about how the religious leaders of that time had totally misunderstood what the Sabbath was for. They totally missed it. So let's look at that together. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus is speaking, and he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, his disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads, of grain, uh, pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which, is not lawf- which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So Jesus begins by talking about how when you follow him, you'll be able to have rest. You'll be able to have an easy yoke and a light burden. If you haven't grown up around church, you might not know that word yoke. It's not one that we use in modern uh, language today. So a a yoke is a a wooden device that you would put around uh, something's head, either a person or sometimes an oxen, uh, and they would use that to pull a heavy load. So usually it would be two oxen that are yoked together with this wooden device, and then they would pull something using that yoke. But sometimes it would be a person. Sometimes it would be a person who would wear that yoke, and they would use it to pull a heavy load. And so Jesus is saying, when you follow me, your load will be light, your yoke will be easy. You'll be able to find rest. All right? And right after he talks about, you'll be able to find rest when you follow me, directly after that is a passage on the Sabbath. And that's not a coincidence, right? So if you read commentary, you read study Bibles about this passage, they'll say these two passages are related. So, right, he's just talked about rest, and now he's going to uh, have an experience with the religious leaders about the Sabbath. So Jesus and his disciples are walking through a field, And the disciples are hungry, so they pick some grain, they rub off the outer coating, pop it in their mouths because they're hungry. They eat some little pieces of grain. And the Pharisees start freaking out. The Pharisees are with Jesus and his disciples in the the field, and they're saying, oh, that's work on the Sabbath. That's work on the Sabbath. 
And for a modern reader, you might think, why is that? Why would that be work? Why, why would that be violating God's command to rest on the Sabbath? All they did was, choo, choo, right? Why are they so upset that this is what the disciples are doing? So Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, they do tell us that uh, God's people are supposed to observe a day of rest, but they're not specific about what that rest is supposed to look like. They're not specific about what's work and what's rest. And so the Jews sought to fill in the blanks. They made a list of 39 rules about what was work and what was not work. And then based on that list, they made more and more and more rules about what was work and what was not. So for example, modern Jews, they would say, you can't drive a car on the Sabbath because that's work. One of those 39 rules was you can't light a fire. And so because a car uses a combustion engine, they would say that's similar to a fire, so you can't drive, drive a car on the Sabbath. But it gets a little crazy after that. They would say you can only erase one letter on the Sabbath. If you erase two letters, you're working. They would say you can ride an elevator, but you can't push the buttons. In fact, it goes even crazier. You guys ready for this? You're not allowed to tear toilet paper on the Sabbath. That's work. So they will either tear it in advance or they will buy pre-torn toilet paper because you have to make sure that you don't work on the Sabbath. Now, all those examples are modern examples, right? But it was the same sort of thing at that time. And so that's why, even though the disciples only did this motion, they had broken one of the rules. They had broken one of these made-up rules that the religious leaders had, and that's why the religious leaders were uh, rebuking them. Jesus says, you don't understand the Sabbath. You've taken what was supposed to be a day of rest for God's people, and you've made it into a day of rules. You've misunderstood the purpose. And then he goes on, and he gives them two examples where breaking the rules, breaking the law, was actually okay. He talks about how David at one point uh, was with his men and he was on the run and he ate the bread that was in the temple and his men did as well. And that was okay because they were starving and because David was the one who was going to become king, he had the authority to make that decision. Then he lists another example. He says, you know, there's priests and they work on the Sabbath in the temple. And that's another example that where uh, breaking rules is actually okay in that case because it's necessary for the temple to continue to function. And so what Jesus is saying is, the Sabbath isn't about rule-keeping. It's supposed to be about something else. He ends by saying that he is the Lord of the Sabbath, right? That he understands what it's for, and they do not. And so if we combine that with the context of what he has just said before this happens— we can see that Jesus is saying the Sabbath is supposed to be a gift of rest for God's people. It's supposed to be a time where they can uh, stop and they can be present with him and they can get to a place where they feel that their yoke is easy and their burden is light. When I was in college, I was a really diligent student. I used to get up really early in the morning and I would start studying then and I would study until really late at night. And I remember one time I was uh, at this thing where, where uh, graduating seniors were able to give one piece of advice to lower classmen. 
And there was a certain senior that I admired and I respected. And so when he got up to give his advice, I really listened to what he had to say. I, I leaned in. And what he said was, always take a Sabbath. Even if you have exams, even if you have a big paper, even if you feel like you don't have time, always take a Sabbath. You need it more than you realize. And that really impacted me. So much so that from that point on, pretty much for the rest of my life, I have always taken one day that I intended as a Sabbath rest. In fact, when it was my turn and I got to stand up as the senior and give advice to lower classmen, I gave the same advice. Always take a Sabbath because it had been very life-giving for me. Taking a day of Sabbath rest is a key part of living according to God's intended rhythm for our lives. Now, I'm not as relaxed and at peace as Jesus is, but this practice of taking a Sabbath has helped me to grow in that direction over the years, has helped me to have more of that sense of peace. So we talked about what the Sabbath is not about, right? That it's not about all of these rules and how the religious leaders had kind of messed it up, right? Let's talk about what the Sabbath is about. What are the origins of the Sabbath? What did God intend with the Sabbath? Well, uh, one of your questions might be, well, you know, Pastor Peter, we don't follow all these other Old Testament laws, so why should we follow the law about the Sabbath, right? We don't follow the laws about not mixing fabrics or, you know, not eating unclean animals or not cooking a goat in its mother's milk. That one's my favorite. And you're right. We don't follow those laws. Those are laws that are focused on ritual purity. And so at that time, those things were necessary. But because Jesus died on the cross for us, he satisfied the requirements of those ritual purity laws. That's no longer something that we need to abide by. However, I would argue that the Sabbath is not one of those ritual purity items. When, when God says that, that his people should practice the Sabbath, he says it's because he rested on the seventh day of creation. It's because he gave us a a model for us to follow. There's two words for rest in Hebrew. One is Shabbat. It means to stop working. The second is Nuach, and that means to dwell. It means something like when when you're sitting in front of a campfire and you're relaxed. It's the word that's used for how God dwelled with his people by having there be a temple or a tabernacle, and God was present there. And so the intention with the Sabbath was that God's people would stop work and would dwell, be present with him. Now, why was that so important? Why did God's people need to hear that? Well, if you look at Exodus 20, when the Sabbath is first introduced, God's people have just been liberated from slavery in Egypt. They've been slaves for 400 years, seven days a week, 24 hours almost. They're working, 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 and they get out, and they still live like slaves. And so one of the Ten Commandments that God gives to them for their own good is that you need to imitate what I did in the the order of creation. You need to take a day for rest. 
Pete Scazzaro says this about um, uh, spiritual growth and, and about getting over some things that have been in our past. He says, Jesus may be in your heart, but grandpa's in your bones. What that means is if something has been in your family for generations, it's real hard to let that go. And so the people of Israel had been slaves for generations, and they were still living as slaves, even though they were free. Grandpa was still in their bones. And God had to tell them, you need this rest. It's for your own good. God commanded them to rest for their own good. Taking a day for Sabbath rest is a key part of living according to God's intended rhythm for our lives. Part of how we see that this is a key part of God's intended rhythm for our lives is that Jesus himself would take time away from doing his work to rest, to pray, to be with the Lord. There were more people that needed healed. There were more people that needed to hear the gospel. But Jesus doesn't work all the time. Repeatedly, we see in Scripture, especially before something important happens, Jesus takes time away by himself to rest and to be present with the Lord. So God does this in creation. He takes a day to rest. Jesus, God in the flesh, when he's here, he takes time to rest. It's part of God's intended rhythm for us as his creation. And I believe that's why when we see Jesus, he's relaxed. He's at peace. He's taken time to quiet and be present with God, to stop work, Shabbat, and be present with God, Nuah. As I did my research for this sermon, I came across a quote that I think really expresses why Christians need to observe the Sabbath. It's by someone named Missy Takano. Missy says this, when followers of Jesus observe the Sabbath, we take a break from the broken rhythms of hustle and hardship to set aside time to honor Jesus' rule, enjoy his presence, and extend rest to the world around us. When we trust God's invitation to come to him and truly rest, we become places where his presence can dwell. I love the wording, take a break from the brokenness of hustle and bustle take a break. How did Jesus come off as relaxed and at peace? It's because he took breaks. It's because that's what, that's what made it so God's presence could dwell with him, so he could be okay with interruptions, be okay with what needs came to him. Another author, John Mark Comer, who often writes about Sabbath and slowing down as part of the Christian life, says this, most of us feel too busy to follow Jesus. Ouch. Does that hit for anyone? It hits for me. Most of us feel too busy to follow Jesus. And part of following Jesus is slowing down. It's not about adding more things. It's about subtraction, not addition. Less, not more. It's about making space for what matters most because hurry hinders our ability to receive and give love to God and others. Hurry is incompatible with love. It gets in the way of loving God and others. Why do we need Sabbath rest? Because hurry gets in the way 
of our ability to love God and others. When we're in a hurry, we can't love others well. The hurry sick need Sabbath rest. Taking a day for Sabbath rest is a key part of living according to God's intended rhythm for our lives. So let me tell you a little bit about what this looks like for me. When I'm taking a Sabbath, uh, it's going to be a day where I'm going to try to get some extra sleep. I'm going to try to do things that are going to build, that are going to fill me up. Things are gonna, that are going to refresh me so that I'm better able to serve the Lord on those other days when I'm working. So uh, that looks like quality time with my family. It looks like uh, not running errands, not doing stuff for my job here, and not doing chores at home. Right? We leave that for another day so that on the Sabbath day, we can rest. When my wife, uh, who, who cooks for our family, will go to prepare a meal, I'll often encourage her, do whatever is easiest for you. Do whatever is the simplest. Some, sometimes that means that we eat grilled cheese, and I love grilled cheese. Hint, hint, babe, we should have grilled cheese tonight. So I want to give you some practical tips if you are interested in this Sabbath challenge that I've been giving you tonight, I want to give you some practical tips for what it looks like to take a Sabbath rest. The first one is that Sabbath is not just a day off. It's more than that. It's intended to help refresh us. It's intended to help fill us so that we can better serve God. That's the purpose we should choose things that refresh, that recreate, that allow us to be present with God, things that bring us delight. The idea of Sabbath is that we would stop, rest, delight, and worship. Stop, rest, delight, and worship. It doesn't matter what day you do your Sabbath, right? For me as a pastor, when I'm working in the morning and working in the evening uh, at youth nights, Sunday is not my Sabbath. It is not my day of rest. <laughs> it's like a 10 or 11 hour day. It's, it's far away from being Sabbath rest, right? And the day is not important. What's important is that you have some time for rest. Some of you might feel like, I can't do a whole day. That's fine. Start where you are, not where you feel like you should be. Figure out what is a reachable goal for you and have that be your Sabbath rest goal. I know for me, as someone with a, a small child, I have an 11-month-old, Sabbath is different now than it used to be, right? It involves taking turns with my wife so that both of us get some time to be with the Lord. Both of us get some time to do things that bring us joy, that recreate us. It's, it might not be like a, a whole, you know, 24-hour period of rest, but there is rest in there. The idea is that we stop, rest, delight, and worship. Experts on Sabbath would say stay away from screens. That's hard for me. <laughs> I don't do real well with that part. But they would say stay away from screens because screens numb you out. They don't help you be present. And Sabbath is about being present. It's about being present with uh, your own needs, about being present with your loved ones. It's about being present with God doing the things that will refresh you, doing the things that will help you be able to serve God better. You don't have to finish your to-do list before you Sabbath. You can embrace your limits. You can stop and trust God and say, even though I'm not finished with blank, 
I'm going to stop now. We trust God with our time, and we Sabbath, just like we trust God with our money, and we tithe. Right? Even if we're like, I don't really know how I'm going to you know, pay all these bills, we tithe first, and then we figure out the rest. Right? That's how Sabbath ought to be with our time. Pete Scazzaro says this, God is God. He is indispensable. I am his creature. The world continues working fine when I stop. We stop on Sabbaths because God is on the throne, assuring us the world will not fall apart if we cease our activities. What kind of witness is it to a watching world if we're as frantic, as busy, as stressed as everyone else What does that say about our faith in God? What does that say about the impact of following Jesus? We believe as Christians that it's not about what we do. It's about what Jesus has done. We believe as Christians that there's freedom in grace. That you don't have to do, 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 earn, earn, earn. Make sure you look good keeping up with the Joneses. That's not what we're about. And in contrast, what does it say about faith in Jesus when you are able to rest? When you are able to be at peace? When you are able to say, God's got it. I'm going to take a step back. My mentor used to say this. He's a, he's a teacher, and he would say, when it's time for my Sabbath, I choose to stop thinking of myself as behind on grading papers. On this day, I'm not behind. I don't let my mind go there. I choose to stop. I love that. It's always been really helpful to me uh, when I'm feeling like stressed out and like I have to do more stuff. I still have stuff on my to-do list. On this day, I'm not behind. God has given me this gift for my good. So if you're interested in learning more about the Sabbath, I would direct you to John Mark Comer, to Pete Scazzaro, to the Bible Project. Those are all uh, experts on this topic. I've used their material extensively in this sermon. You can Google them. You can look up their uh, videos, articles, books. Uh, They are all really, they have some really good stuff on this topic. I wanted to talk about this today because over this year, we're talking about what it looks like to be a fully formed disciple. And one of the aspects of being a fully formed disciple is that we are emotionally and relationally healthy. And so Pastor Matt talked last week about how if you're so focused on gain, if you're so focused on stuff that it makes you anxious all the time, you're not emotionally healthy. And you're not going to be able to present to others what it looks like to follow Jesus. You're not going to be a good witness. My my submission to you about what it looks like to be emotionally healthy as a fully formed disciple is that fully formed disciples are not frantic. They're not hurry sick. Fully formed disciples have the peace, the sense of being relaxed that Jesus had. Taking a day for Sabbath rest is a key part of living according to God's intended rhythm for our lives. It's a key part of being emotionally healthy. 
You can know a whole bunch of stuff about the Bible, and if you're not emotionally healthy, you will not look like Jesus to the watching world. If you feel like you're stuck in the blizzard of busyness, if you feel, if you feel frantic, if you feel frenetic, right? My, my wife read this sermon as, when I read it, and she talked about, like, why would you use the word frenetic? You're just, you're just trying to use big, fancy words like Pastor Matt. And I was like, I didn't think that was a big, fancy word. I thought that was a normal word. Maybe it's not. Frenetic means <laughs> all those other things I've been talking about, right? Stressed, on the edge, tense. Fully formed disciples aren't frenetic. Because Jesus wasn't. Fully formed disciples aren't uh, hurry sick. Because Jesus wasn't. And if you feel like you are in that blizzard of busyness, I want to invite you to consider trying what Scripture points out as the rhythm that God intended for us, that there is time for work and there is time for rest. If you're in a place where you can't say with Jesus that my yoke is easy and my burden is light, I would invite you to try taking a Sabbath. Try that rhythm that God laid out for us. Try that rhythm that Jesus lived out for us. Taking a day for Sabbath rest is a key part of living according to God's intended rhythm for our lives. I hope you'll find out about what kind of benefits the Lord can bring to your life when you follow that rhythm. Let's pray. Lord, we so badly want to represent you well. God, we want to be people who point others to Jesus, who can rewrite every life story. And it's so easy, Lord, to get caught up in all of the stuff, all of the hustle and the bustle and the hurry. Jesus, would you help us to be people who represent you who are at peace, who are relaxed like you were. Would you help us to see what it would look like for us to rest as you intended? In your name we pray, amen. Well, we hope that you will join us again next week as we continue uh, this series about fully formed disciples um, and as we uh, head into the Advent season as well. But for now, God bless. Have a great day.